We're starting this morning in Luke chapter 2. We spent the last couple of weeks looking at uh, the Lord and the sort of the Christmas story, if you will. We, we looked at his earthly mother. We looked at his earthly father. We looked at uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, the, uh, the parents of John the Baptist and, and how the angel spoke to them. And then Mary went to visit with Elizabeth. We looked at John. And John the Baptist, a cousin to Jesus and, and his ministry. And, his, and this morning we're focusing on the birth of Christ. Now, uh, there are uh, di- different things presented. In Luke chapter 2, it talks about when he was born and the shepherds. In Matthew chapter 2, uh, chapter 1, it talks about when he was born. And chapter 2 talks about the wise men. And so some critics have said, see, they can't even get the story right. Uh, But the truth is, uh, both events happened. They just didn't happen at the same time. And we'll look at that briefly this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. If you have the King James Version, it said all the world should be taxed. Uh, well, I like what the English Standard Version, it said, should be registered for taxation. Uh, that's what they were doing. They were doing a census. They were getting people assigned so that the government could tax them. And uh, isn't it nice to know that God can be glorified and God can still work his plan, even through political people that we don't necessarily respect or admire? Uh, This king had no idea he was putting in motion God's plan to have Jesus born in Bethlehem. He was just looking to raise more money. Verse 2, the census first took place when Quirinius or Serenius was governing Syria. He was the governor of Syria. Now, um, there are some historical debate. Hopefully, you've heard the, the concept that the calendar that we use today is supposed to be 2017 in the year of our Lord. They got it off by a few years. Jesus was actually born between 6 and 4 BC. And so it, if you take that into account, then it lines up with the scrolls and rolls in Syria and everything makes sense. If, if you don't, then he was no longer serving when Jesus was born. The Bible is accurate and historical and archaeological uh, records have unearthed and proven a lot of what the Bible says. Um, I personally don't think it has to be proven. It's the Word of God, and it it makes no apology for being the Word of God. Verse 3, all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Now, we live in a Western culture. In a Western culture, uh, I am known as by where I live. Most people who know me would say Terry Green from Casa Grande. Why? Because I've lived here for nearly 20 years, uh, 19 and a half years. I've lived in Casa Grande. Uh, Was I born here? No, I was actually only born down the road, down in Tucson, uh, a hospital that got torn down. I was the last baby born in that hospital and they tore it down. (laughs) My dad said, they said, we're not going to do that again. But The truth is they were moving to the new hospital and my mom was in a car accident and the ambulance raced her to the base hospital and the ambulance driver didn't realize 
they went to the wrong hospital. I was born prematurely, and we had to wait there for a while. And But anyway, I, I told my dad, they said, look, all these years we've been striving for perfection. We finally achieved it. Let's dismantle the hospital. <laughs> but it wasn't true because mom and I both spent time in the new hospital. We just They kept us there till we were stable and moved us over to the other one and then tore down the first one so no other ambulance driver would shake things up like that. But uh, in a tribal culture, you're known by your ancestry. So my ancestors came over on the Mayflower. I could be a registered son of the Mayflower. I'm not but I could be. Uh, I don't particularly see an advantage to that, although it bothered my grandpa that I didn't want to join him in those things. But, uh, but I, I never did that. But you're known, by your, you're known by who you are in our culture. When you register for taxes, you register where you live. Unless you're a student or military serving in some other place, then you register and you pay taxes at your legal address, where you live. But in, in Jewish culture, it was tribal. And so they went to register in their place of their family city. So it says in verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, which it sounds kind of funny to say he went up because it's about an 80-mile trip south. Uh, but Jerusalem was a little higher elevation, but that really didn't matter to the Israelites. When you went to Jerusalem, it was going up because Jerusalem was the pinnacle. Bethlehem is a small city outside of Jerusalem. It was about five miles away from the edge of Jerusalem in that day. And so they went to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. I was talking with my granddaughters about this the other day, that if we had to pay taxes and, and had to go register like that, Anna would have to go all the way to North Carolina because that's where she was born. But um, uh, Leah could stay right here because she was born here. Uh, but that's what they were doing. They were going to register for the taxation that would come. Verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about betrothal and what that meant. It was way more substantive. It was legally binding. It wasn't like engagement today. It was a legally binding arrangement. And so they were there. Verse 6. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now, uh, when it talks about firstborn, it's a legal position. It's not that, oh, she had lots of other kids, although she did. We talked about that last week. But firstborn was a legal status, the, the son of inheritance. And sometimes the firstborn was actually the secondborn. But the dad or grandpa would designate them to be the firstborn. The firstborn could be someone adopted. It was the son of inheritance. And that was the role that Jesus had and in that day. The last phrase of verse 7 says, no room. Well, what did we mean by no room? You've heard stories. I even wrote an article for the Cass Grand Dispatch years ago and talked about different characters in the Christmas story, and one of them was the innkeeper. And they knocked on the inn, and he said, we have no room. Go over to the stall out there with the animals. See, we're reading Scripture from a Western mindset. 
In Western culture, where are your animals if you have them? And they're not cats and dogs, you know. Uh, if you have farm animals, free, animals that you plan to eat, uh, then the, you don't keep those animals in the house unless you're really strange. Okay, we, there's an outbuilding, a place out, there's a corral, there's area out back. Some of you have chickens in the backyard. They, you don't keep chickens in the hallway, they're out in the backyard. And you eat their eggs and they stop making eggs, you eat them. That's that, you make them chickens earn their keep, right? Uh, but in the traditional um, manger scene, I have a picture here, the traditional manger scene. Now, I know this isn't super traditional because there's a dog and a kitty cat in that picture, but I, I said bad things about cats and I offended cat lovers. Not really, they're very gracious, but I put a kitty cat on the screen just for that. So, uh, is this what it looked like? Now, historically, uh, we, they've done research, and the manger scene that is so predominant at Christmas that shows up in a lot of places, that originated about 1200. They talk, and it was written from a Western mindset looking into the Eastern, Middle Eastern history. And in our culture, we wouldn't normally have a house that had a space for animals. In their culture, they did. Kathy and I have been in Cuba, and they have places for animals right beside the people. And so now, after some research, they think this is probably more like what it looked like. Can you pop up that next one? Uh, and so there's a, a guest area. I, I hope all of you can see over here. Uh, this is the guest room, uh, and that's what the inn was referring to there. And then there's the family living room, and then you see the manger. That's the, the, the feed troughs for the animals. And, and so it's possible that Jesus uh, was born in a crowded room with other people, and the other room filled up with other people, and, and, and they, they, they had a place for food where the animals would normally feed, and they cleared that off and made that a bed for Jesus. Uh, honestly, I like the idea of him being born in a crowded room because he came for people. That's why he came. He didn't come for the animals. But the Bible doesn't say one way or the other. It says his bed was a place where the animals were fed. And it says there was no room in the traditional place they would have slept otherwise. Um, there's no record of an inn being in Bethlehem. So it probably was a guest room in a house. But the Bible, we have songs, we have traditions, right, that have, we, we love to sing these songs. And, you know, the song about the, the cattle are lowing and the baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, how much crying? No crying he makes. How many of you have ever spent a couple days around a baby and they did not cry? Hey, I'll tell you what happens. If you're around a baby that does not cry, you take him to the doctor to see what's wrong. Because that's how babies communicate. They cry, I need change. They cry, I need food. They're kind of like men. They, <laughs> they just cry, feed me. You know? That's what babies do. And so no room. It, I think that 
What we need to really focus on is not, was it a cave out back? Was it a courtyard separate? Was it a room close to where the rest of the family and everybody were? What we really need to focus on is not the logistics, but on the awe that Christ stepped into humanity. Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, Colossians 1, the voice that spoke creation into existence, the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. He stepped into humanity and what is called the incarnation. And John 1 says, he came into his own and his own received him not. So although we don't exactly know what no room in the end means because we don't live in that culture, we know that he came for people who rejected him. Because the scriptures tell us that. And he gave himself for me and for you. And if you have rejected him, then you are one of those that he would love to see you change your heart and trust him. Now, in verse 8, it talks about shepherds. There were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were greatly afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, do not be afraid. So we have the shepherds out there, it's the dark of night, and suddenly an angel shows up, and the angel says, No fear, don't be afraid, no room, no fear. Now why is it that angels always have to tell people don't be afraid? That would be a terrifying experience to have an angel show up with the glow of heaven, the light of heaven, the glory of heaven shown round about. You're out there in the dark. Have you ever been in the dark and then somebody flips the lights on? And you, oh, man, you're just blinded. It startles you. They're out there in the dark. And they're not in a culture of electricity. They're in a culture where the only light you have is something burning. And there's nothing around burning. And it's dark. And suddenly, the sky lights up. And I like one of the translations that says, and they were terrified. That's really what happened. Don't be afraid. Uh, Verse 9, it says, they were greatly afraid. Uh, they They were terrified. Don't be afraid, for I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. When you receive Christ, there is no fear. Some of you might remember a long time ago, years and years ago, Randy Davis uh, was a friend of mine. He pastored up in Wickenburg, and he was down here, and he was preaching for us. Uh, at a fellowship meeting that we had here. And Randy got up and he was talking about uh, the fear of death. And, and Randy said, you know, uh, some guys, they capture Christians and they, they torture them and they, they make them fear death and they're trying to get the Christians to renounce their faith. And Randy said, go ahead, threaten me with heaven. You put a Christian to death, they're immediately in the presence of the Lord. Immediately. Uh, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, absent from the body, present with the Lord, instantaneously. I've had 
the opportunity to watch that process with a lot of people. I watched uh, my brother die. I watched my mother die. I've, I've watched uh, church friends die. And, and it, you just see the soul and spirit leave the body. It, you don't, I mean, you don't see it. It's not like you see this glowing thing rise up through the ceiling. But you just see their body sags. And it's like what was holding them alive is gone. And you know why that's what it looks like? Because that's what it is. God breathed into man and man became a living soul. And, and so uh, we don't need to be afraid of death. We don't need to be afraid of circumstances because we walk with the one who overcame death and the one who oversees the circumstances. We can trust and follow him. And then he says, good tidings. What are good tidings? <laughs> yeah, it's an important announcement about something great. You know, I've always said, I love to hear my wife say those three special words. You know what they are, right? Dinner is ready. <laughs> I love to hear that. Oh, you were thinking of something else? <laughs> I like the other one too, the I love you one. But, uh, you know, there's some announcements that are great, some announcements that are terrific. A bunch of us went out to eat at Olive Garden, and we, we had a terrible time paying for our bills. I mean, they, they didn't want to bill me. I'm not sure how that worked out. But I, I told them, I have not paid for it. No one else has told me they paid for it. I need to pay for it. Give me a bill. But some of us, some of you left as soon as you got your bill and paid. Some of us had to sit around for over half an hour waiting to pay our bill. That's very unusual. They've always done better than that. But it was, it was really nice when they said, here's the last one. And gave me the last bill that we had to pay. I'm like, yes. But that was nothing compared to this. If we said, we're having a lottery this morning, which we're not. And the winner's going to win a million bucks, which they're not. And we drew your name and I pulled out this card and I said, Pat Pryor. You know what Pat would say? A million bucks is nothing. I've got Jesus. You think that's what she'd say? Okay, that's what she should say. But she'd say, a million bucks, think how much I can give to the church. That's, that's what she would say. But listen, if you are a multimillionaire without Christ, and you're struggling financially with Christ, the Bible says the one with Christ is the richer one. Because there's an ending time to life on earth. We don't know when it'll happen. But it will. According to statisticians, today, 153,000 people will die on planet Earth somewhere through some circumstances. We don't know when our time is, but we know it's coming. So what we have to do before that time comes is trust Christ as your Savior. So that when that time comes, you can go be with Him. And the good tidings are, even if you're a sinner... And by the way, if you're here today and you think you're not a sinner, you don't understand what the Bible means about a sinner. A sinner is someone who has transgressed against God. And the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody is a sinner, but everybody can be forgiven. The good news is you don't have to be rich. 
You don't have to be white. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be male. You don't have to be anything. You can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. And some cultures have tried to limit people, but the Bible says exactly the opposite. Uh, Look, there's good tidings of great joy. Why? Because of Christ. Because we can have new life in Him. And I know we focus a lot about at the end of your life, you get to go to heaven. That's good. But I'll tell you, Christ doesn't just save you for the end of your life. He saves you from who you're becoming. I was uh, a messed up teenage kid, and I trusted Christ as my Savior, and he changed my life. And teachers that did not like having me in class suddenly liked having me in class. And my parents, who really had problems uh, with me in their house, suddenly were glad to have me in the house. And, and my youth pastor <laughs> begged me to go to camp and be on his side for once. Uh, but th- there's a life transformation that can take place in Christ. Great joy. I was old enough. Some got saved very young and they don't remember the exact emotions of the day. I was young. I was 16, but I was old enough to remember. And I remember the day I trusted Christ as my Savior. My youth pastor and I met down at the front. Uh, It was at camp and we prayed together and I asked the Lord to forgive my sins. And I remember standing up feeling clean on the inside. And some of you who got saved later than young childhood, you remember that feeling. And that's great joy. That's that's better than going to the doctor. And he said, you have terminal cancer and come back in two weeks and we'll let you know if there's anything. You come back in two weeks and new tests and the cancer's gone. This is better than that. Because no matter how many times you get miraculously cured on earth, your life on earth will still end. But when you're with the Lord in heaven forever, your life will not end. Great joy, intense emotional happiness and pleasure. For how many people? What does it say? Uh, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. All people. It's kind of interesting. I've had the opportunity to preach in Mexico and in Canada and and across the southern part of the U.S. I, I've never preached anywhere north. The, I guess the furthest north I've preached is uh, up toward Flagstaff. Um, but when we uh, look at uh, what we what we do, all people, everywhere we go, we run into people that, that have the same issues. And, and uh, you know, Kathy and I did um, like family enrichment uh, in Texas, in Arizona, in Cuba. The families have exactly the same needs, the same hopes, the same dreams, the same desires. Uh, all people. There's a difference between the 
Western mindset and the Eastern mindset, between the American mindset and the Russian mindset, the Chinese mindset. But on the inside, people long for things that are very similar. We want significance. We want hope. We want joy. We want our lives to matter for something. And through Christ, we get that. And throughout history, people have made other people their slaves. In some cultures, it was white owners, white slaves. In some cultures, it was white owners, darker-skinned slaves. Uh, in some cultures, uh, Asian cultures, there were Asian people having slaves of Asian people or white people or all, all different groups. Women have been considered property. Uh, Christ redeemed and gave greater hope for women, but women were considered property in most cultures of the world, especially in the day of Christ. But Christ came for all people, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their skin color or their height or their weight or, or their gender or their past history. He forgave, those scriptures describe people that he forgave who had been homosexual and trusted Christ. And Christ forgave them and gave them a new life. People who had been murderers and they trusted Christ and he forgave them and gave them a new life. Uh, people who were serial adulterers, people who were vicious and vile and mean and he forgave because they came and they repented and they asked for forgiveness and all people can have hope in Christ. It's not just people who look like me, act like me, or think like me, which my family says is really good because they swear nobody thinks like I do. I have no idea what they mean. But, but those who were in need of a Savior can find a Savior in Jesus Christ. All people. This is the good news for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We all can find a Savior. God loves you. God wants to give you new life, new hope, new dreams. But first, you have to realize you need a Savior. And secondly, you need to realize He's the Savior. That's why he came. Um, there have been all kinds of songs written about God stepping into humanity. Uh, I, I liked one of the phrases from one of the songs I heard about 30 years ago. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. That's exactly what Christ did. He paid for our sins. The Lord, the Savior, the Christ or the Messiah, the anointed one that was prophesied all through history. And he came and he saves our souls. He changes our lives now and gives us a hope for all eternity through Christ. Verse 12. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Remember the manger, we know that's biblical because that's what it says. We don't know about the stable part. Uh, that may not be the biblical plan, the pattern. But we know 
He was laid in a manger and he was wrapped up in clothes that they use for burial. They prepare those clothes for burial. And uh, in, at the beginning of this verse, uh, I mean, of this passage in verse 6, the days were completed for her to be delivered. When you watch um, movies about Christmas, right? Nativity story, what happens? Joseph and Mary just barely make it into town, right? She's, and she's always riding on a donkey. It doesn't say they had a donkey. doesn't say they didn't. Although it does say they were poor by the offering they gave for Jesus. So it's possible they did not have a donkey. And it's possible they rode on a camel. I, we don't know because the Bible didn't spell that out for us. But all the movies and all that, they show them. They just barely make it into town. There's no room. They're desperate. And people, no, we're full. Go away. And they end up off in this place all by themselves, just Joseph being the midwife and, and Mary and, and Jesus is born. And then the shepherds come in and, and then the wise men come in and it's this glorious celebration. That's not how it happened in Scripture. They showed up in town, and while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should bring forth her son. So, how long were they there? Days. That's what the Bible says. Was it three days, 20 days? The Bible says days. I think it was probably a short time, but I don't know. And the, a Savior came. And so in verse number uh, 12, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, All right, you're out at the night. It's dark. Suddenly this booming bright light and an angel speaking. And you're just starting to get comfortable with that, and suddenly the whole sky is full of angels. How many angels are there? I don't know. The, the Bible describes thousands and thousands, ten thousands and thousands, uh, millions and billions of them. I don't know. Uh, and the, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and doing what? What's it say? The end of verse 13, praising God and saying. It doesn't say they were singing. So we had a preacher who was here once, and he preached that angels cannot sing. God made singing only for people, because we're God's special people. The Bible doesn't say angels can't sing. And it does say in creation there was lots of singing, and we weren't there yet, so probably the angels. Uh, Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven. I, I wonder how they went away. Did they just start popping out, you know, with a little bloop, 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 sound like your video game or something? Did they spiral and go? Uh, were they flying? Were they walking? Wait, did they just jump? Yeah. Up, up, and away. No. We don't know how they went away. They just went away. And so the shepherds are left. And, and they look at each other and they say one to another in the middle of verse 15, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. All right. What's their job? Watching the sheep. So do they take all the sheep with them into Bethlehem? 
probably not. It's possible they maybe made the youngest guy stay around. And all the older guys got to go into town. I mean, if I was one of the shepherds, that's what I would have done. If I was the older guy. I've been the older guy so long, I can't remember what it was like to be the younger guy. Verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, some people say, wow, did you see that? Mary, Joseph, and the baby all in the manger. That's a big manger. Okay, Jesus was in the manger. Mary and Joseph were there with him. And they came and, and now, Bethlehem wasn't a huge city, but imagine Bethlehem had a population bigger than this. And imagine if all of our houses were on the property of the church. And some were second story and some were lower story and we're all around. And we got these little walking streets in between. And so somebody comes in and they're trying to find Mark. And they're trying to figure out, where's Mark? What do they do? Knock on the first door. Hey, is Mark there? No, Mark lives down the block. They go down the block. Mark there, Mark there, Mark there, Mark there. Mark. And I, I picture the, sh- the sheriffs. <laughs> I picture the shepherds going from house to house and banging and making noise and moving and, and a little commotion being stirred up. The Bible doesn't say there were people going with them, but it does say they came out and talked to everybody they could because let's look and see this. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And they told all kinds of people and all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned. Pause there for just a minute. So the shepherds, they come along and they're telling all the people the things which the angel said. What did the angel say? Good tidings, great joy, a Savior is born. And they found him. And so they probably talked to people on their way in. And they talked to people on their way out. And they told people. Because when you know something great, you want other people to know. I mean, if you go to a restaurant and it's fantastic, you want your friends to be able to go to that restaurant because you know if they keep it just for you, they're going out of business, right? So you want a lot of people to go there to keep it in business so you can enjoy it later. And so they wanted everybody to know about the Savior. It was overwhelming. And probably because shepherds were devalued in their culture, It was probably really exciting for the shepherds to have something exciting to talk about. Because normally, the people who talked to shepherds were shepherds and their wives, and sometimes their kids. And that was it. The other people didn't talk to the shepherds. But now the shepherds had good news, great joy for all people, not just for shepherds, for all people. And so they shared it with all the people. And the end of verse 24. I'm sorry, verse uh, 21. Ah, I got ahead of myself. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they told, that they had heard and seen as it was told him. Glorifying God. Uh, that's what we should be doing. That's how we should spend our lives. 
Uh, and look at verse 13. Uh, the heavenly host was praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And in verse 17, they, they let everybody know, they let it be widely known, those sayings. And in verse 20, they're rejoicing and praising God and glorifying God. That's what we should be doing. I think there's too many Christians fussing about the economy, fussing about politics, grumbling and fussing about life on earth, when we should be rejoicing because we have a blessed hope that is so much better than the richest person on earth. We're going to live in heaven with the Lord. And the Bible says, when we go up to be with Him, so shall we ever be with the Lord. No. I preached my first funeral in 1991, the fall of 1991. I'd been involved in some before that, but I became a pastor in 91. And I preached my first funeral several months after I became a pastor. And I don't know how many funerals I've preached and participated in, but I, I know it's more than 100 times that I've been involved working with family when people have died, loved ones have died, and helping them and encouraging them. And, you know, someday we'll all be together. Someday my, my great-grandpa, who died when I was seven, but he was a preacher, and I have inherited his library, and I've preached some of his sermons and, and shared some of the thoughts that I got from his study materials, and, and we'll be together with the Lord glorifying the Lord forever. And I think we need to... I know so many Christians who hate Christmas. Why do they hate Christmas? Yeah, it's too commercial. Yeah, it's all about giving gifts, and in reality, it's all about getting gifts in our culture. But you see, what we should be saying is, yeah, you know, Kathy and I years ago decided we would only give our kids three gifts. The wise men, when they came, gave Jesus three gifts. That's all we would give them. And uh, that's, that's all we ever did. You know, we'd go to the dollar store and give them three gifts. And, um, there were times when we actually did that. Um, on good years, we tried to give them a little more. But listen, Christmas, uh, if you were here last week, the kids did their program and Dawson, you were the one doing that. What were the things that you said? Uh, Todd was saying, Christmas is all about, do you remember what they were? What? Presents, and then cookies, and then family. Okay, we're, we're believers in Jesus Christ, those of us who are. What should Christmas be all about? Christ. It's Christmas. It's not Christmas. It's not the season of Christmas. It's all about Christ. And so I decided some years ago, because I was grumpy about Christmas, um, my family all liked Christmas, and I didn't, and I didn't like Christmas music. I still don't like some of the Christmas songs they play in stores, but I like singing Christmas songs here at church with us. And, and I decided that, listen, all the world says this should be a joyful time of year. 
And we know the truth about how really joyful it is. Because it was glad tidings and great joy for all people. We should not be grumpy. And so I stay out of Walmart. And I, and I, I don't do a lot of shopping and, and getting stressed by all that. But when I run into people or walk, see people and, and they say, Merry Christmas, I, I try. I don't always get the opportunity because sometimes they're just saying it and flipping on by. Uh, but I say, oh, it is a Merry Christmas, the birth of our Lord. Glorify God in your heart, in your life. But... Maybe you're here and you have never trusted Christ as Savior. I sat in church service year after year because my parents made me go, and I had never trusted Christ until I did. And Christ loves you. Tonight we're going to celebrate not only his birth and the prophecy and the mystery, but also the urgency of knowing Christ. And we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper, which looks back to his body broken for us, his blood shed for us on the cross. That's why he came. In his own words, he came to give his life a ransom for many. That's why he came, so that you and I could be saved. So let's celebrate and give glory to this awesome God who became man so that we might know him intimately and personally. We're going to sing a song of invitation. It's, it's a song about the birth of Christ. It's called Infant Holy, Infant Lowly. If you want the hymnal, it's 279. The words will be on the screen. Infant holy, infant lowly. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to do that. You say, well, how would I do that? Well, we'd love to show you from Scripture. So if you want to trust Christ, talk to somebody sitting around you and ask them if they're one of them that could show you how to trust Christ. And if they're not, they'll find somebody who could. Because we want you to know from the Word of God what God says about how you can be saved. Because God loves you with an everlasting love. He gave His life for you. Let's stand and sing.